Open up to John chapter 13. John 13. <laughs> Come on back, grab a seat. Yeah, flick the lights. <laughs> All right, as you are coming back to grab a seat, uh, I have a very important announcement to make. Forgot to announce this. Um, so we have like the snack sign-up sheet, and uh, apparently we lost the snack sign-up sheet. So after next week, uh, we know we've got snacks for next week. Then after that, we're not sure who signed up for what. So uh, usually we do it all digitally. This is like the one thing we don't have digitally. So we're going to get a new snack sign-up sheet. If you want to sign up for snacks starting, I think it's April 8th, if you're already on the sheet, uh, you can get your spot back. But we need to, to refill that out. So Marcy told me to make that announcement and uh, you know some of the important, really important stuff for the church. So uh, yes, John chapter 13. So I, I recently hit a really big milestone in my life, accomplished the goal that I have been uh, kind of pursuing for about 14 years, and that was finally making it through seminary. Um, yeah, you don't have to applaud, it's a, but it was a, a two and a half year program, and uh, finally got my dad off my back, you know. Um, but it's interesting now that I'm done. I, I finished last weekend, and last Sunday I just felt like I was completely out of it. I can barely remember. I think I preached. <laughs> Not sure. Uh, and then this week was the first week where I just didn't have any, like, homework. And, and I, I noticed that now that I, I, I finished over this last week, I've had just a number of people ask me, well, now what are you going to do? Or what's next? And my response is, I don't know. And I should probably have like a really well thought out, educated answer to that, and I don't. I'm just like, I'm done. I don't know what's next. Uh, but, but another question that has been asked me uh, was asked to me by one of my dear friends who pastors a, a church down in Arcadia, and he said, now that you've made it through this program, you made it through seminary, like what's your biggest takeaway? Like, like everything that you've learned and studied, what, what would be like your number one takeaway? And, and I have been thinking about that answer a lot as I've kind of reflected on going through a program like seminary. And I think the phrase that just keeps coming back up into my mind, and a phrase that I think I'm, I'm starting to share more and more, um, and, it, and it sounds very simple, and yet there, in many ways it's profound as it's this. The more I learn about Jesus, the better Jesus gets. The more I learn about Jesus, the better Jesus gets. He's better than I imagined. He's better than I had hoped for. And, and, and it's different than most humans, because most humans, the more you get to know them, the worse they get, right? <laughs> and, so, and so there's this, the more I explore the humanity of, of Christ, the more I'm just amazed at what kind of a person he is. The more I explore the divinity of, of Jesus, understanding that he is the son of God, the, more, the better the news about who he is gets. The better the news about what he's up to in this world gets. Jesus is better than I expected. And I feel like the process that I've gone through the last couple of years of looking at history and the text and scripture and doctrine, all this kind of stuff, I just keep coming back to this, Jesus is better than I expected. And I think that the story that we're going to hear today reflects that so well. And there's few incidents in the, in the gospel that I think uh, reveal the character uh, of Jesus so perfectly as this story that takes place in John chapter 13. And as we kind of like wrestle with this story, I, I just 
have this sense of awe and wonder at, at who Jesus is, what he's done, and what he's up to in this world, and what he invites us to do as his church. And so the story takes place in John 13. And we've been going through the book of John for this Lent season. Uh, it's been a great, a great uh, series to go through, and, and we've been kind of going kind of story by story, chapter by chapter, and, and here we are in chapter 13. And, and each chunk is kind of a long story, and, and each week I've kind of read it. Uh, but I feel like John's such a, an incredible author. He just paints this beautiful picture with details of what Jesus uh, is up to. And John's purpose of writing, as we've mentioned over and over, is that, that we may know that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by knowing him, we may have life in his name. So let's read the story, and then we'll kind of start to unpack it a bit. But the story takes place in John 13, starting in verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival, and Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a jar and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus said, don't be crazy. No, he said, those who have had a bath only need to wash their feet. And their whole body is clean. You are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that is why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? Jesus asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. But now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Story of washing feet. I remember hearing the story when I was younger. I grew up in the church. My dad was a pastor and went, went to this uh, church that used to do, have this old tradition of foot washing. They would, they would say, Jesus did this, and so we're going to do it as well. And so during Holy Week, they would get into this room. They'd have all the men go to one building and all the women go to the other building. And, uh, and they would have this foot washing thing. And I remember going to this when I was like eight, nine years old, like the same age as my, my son Micah. And I remember one day, everyone sits in this circle, and, and I was sitting in the circle next to a man named Bob Frick. He was really old. His granddaughter's in the room today, actually, which is interesting. But I remember he, he was probably in his late 70s, early 80s, and, he, and, and it was time for everyone to take off their shoes and bare their feet. Bob 
takes off his shoes, and I'm, I'm sitting next to him. And I've never seen the feet of an old man before. <laughs> and I remember seeing his feet and thinking, what have I gotten myself into? <laughs> I'm ready to get out of here. And I remember that, that day of, of him washing my feet and me washing his feet. And it was such like an interesting experience, a humbling experience, even at the age of eight or nine, uh, to have that happen. The church would do that, and it would be the symbolic act of, of serving one another. Maybe you've heard of, of foot washing. Maybe you've heard of this story before. Maybe you don't like feet, and this totally weirds you out. Don't worry. We're not doing foot washing today. <laughs> but it's such an interesting story because, again, it reflects something about the character of who Jesus is. Because this act of foot washing is something that servants do. And when I mean servants, I mean slaves. This isn't something that just normal people would do for each other. This is a, a, a lowly act. And as we look at this story, uh, it, I feel like the, the author outlines it very well. I mean, it, like we, we like to have kind of an organized uh, story. And, and if you want to have an outline to say, here's kind of the structure of the story, it's simple. He starts with this introduction, starts over the Passover feast. And then he talks about what Jesus knew. There's, a, there's about four different things that Jesus, it says that Jesus knew in this story. And then he talks about what Jesus did, the act of foot washing. And then he talks again about what Jesus knew. And then he talks about what Jesus says that we should do. And then at the end, there's a blessing for those who do it. So it's like a really nicely structured story as it's laid out. And I want to look at this introduction. Because it starts off with this phrase, it was time for the Passover feast and Jesus was heading to Jerusalem. And so as my daughter Sophia read in John chapter 12, the story of Palm Sunday, Jesus enters into the town of Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, on a horse. Actually, it's on a donkey, on a colt. And, and it's, there's this huge parade for him. He's coming. There's all sorts of expectation of what Jesus is about to do. And Jesus is about to do something significant. But what happens is this, this phrase, it was time for the Passover feast, it, 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 the, 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 it's almost like the whole Gospel of John pivots on the sentence. The first 12 chapters of John, we're learning all these stories about the life of Jesus, and it's covering the first three years of Jesus' ministry. And then at this story, the whole story of John, second half of John, slows down. And it, it's going at like light speed, flying through the, the life of Jesus, and all of a sudden, the last nine chapters or so of John cover one week in the life of Jesus. I heard it said that it's, if you're reading John, you're, you're speeding through the life of Jesus, and it's almost like you're a speedboat going through the lake, and then someone kills the engine, and it just sputters to a stop. That's what's happening here in the kind of the, the structure of this overall story. This is the second part of the Gospel of John, and it starts by talking about this last week in the life of Jesus. And he opens up with this sentence, it was time for the Passover feast. It's a significant detail because the Passover feast represents, for God's people, the event where God frees his people from slavery. God delivers them. God hears their cry. And he miraculously intervenes. And he sets them free. And as John starts the second act of his story... He starts with this reminder of God's work for salvation in the world. And John is saying, this event that we remember what God does where he sets us free from slavery, 
there's something else that's about to happen here in the life of Jesus and what Jesus is doing. He introduces this second part of John with it's the Passover feast was here and Jesus goes to Jerusalem. And then he talks about what Jesus knew. And the first thing it says is that Jesus knew that his hour had come. He knew that his time, it was his time. For whatever was going to go down, whatever was going to happen, now was the time. And Jesus is very aware of that. He knows he's going to his death. He knows how all of this is escalating to this moment where he's going to die. He's in tune with that. He's aware. So he calls his disciples together in this moment. He knows that this is going to be the last week of his life, and he brings them together for this meal as they share in this meal that's very symbolic of this remembrance of what God has done. In the midst of him knowing that he's going to leave, these are kind of like maybe famous last words. Jesus would say, here's what you need to know about what I'm up to in this world and what I'm doing. And I love kind of the language it says, Jesus knew what was about to happen, And then it says this phrase, he's about to demonstrate his love, and he loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. The Greek word for this is the the word aistelos, aistelos, love them to the end. Aistelos, it sounds like a planet from Star Wars, right? (laughs) But it's this phrase that he he loved them to to the fullness, the fullness of his love came out and was expressed to his disciples, Another translation says, he loved them to the utmost in this moment. He loved them to the end. Uh, Maybe you've been in love with someone and it was a really cheesy relationship and you would talk on the phone and you would say at the end of the conversation, I love you more. And they would say, I love you more. And you would be like, I love you more. And everyone around you would roll their eyes. We do that with our children now that we have children. It will go on forever. I love you to infinity plus one. This is Jesus saying, I love you to the infinity plus one, and you can't add a plus one. I'm showing you the full extent of my love, loving you to the utmost, to the end. And my time is short. And here's what I want you to know. Jesus starts the most important week of his life by washing his disciples' feet. The most important moment. And he uses it to express love through serving others. And humility. Jesus says, now is the moment. And he ends up washing his disciples' feet. I can't imagine going into a week like that. Maybe the only thing we can really compare that to maybe is like a bride on her wedding week. This is the moment she's been waiting for, you know, forever. All sorts of planning has gone into it. She's so excited. And it's her week, right? I mean, it's all about her. And for her to completely switch the gears and just say, no, I'm going to use this moment to bless others, to wash the feet of others. Jesus does it in this moment. What John's trying to reveal to us about Jesus and the details of this story is that the purpose of him coming here is self-sacrificing love. But then it talks about how Jesus knew a few other things. It says that Jesus knew all things had been given into his hands and he knew that he had come from God and was going to God. So that's interesting. All things have been given into his hands. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to Jesus. He is is completely all-powerful, completely all-knowing, completely all-everything in this moment. He says everything has been given to him. And he knows that he's from God and he's going back to God. 
he understands what his title is in this story. And he uses this authority to serve. He uses this power to serve. It's interesting when you read some of the other accounts of what's going on here with this Last Supper meal. In Luke, the Gospel of Luke, it talks about how these disciples, a dispute breaks out amongst them about who's going to be the greatest. You see, they have all sorts of ideas of what Jesus is going to be like, what he's doing as he's bringing about his kingdom, and they have plans. And they're lining up what their position is going to be in this new kingdom. And they all want titles, and they all want to know who's going to be number two in command, who's going to be number three. And this dispute breaks out about them, about who's the greatest. They've been with Jesus for three years, and they're still having this dispute about greatness. And it's probably something that we would do as well. We like to be recognized. We feel entitled. We want credit for, you know, feeding the 5,000, or, you know, I'm the one that found the boy, and uh, I should be up here, or, Maybe you have Matthew being like, well, I'm the tax collector, I'm the wealthiest, so I'm good with money. Maybe I should be numbered. You have this dispute that breaks out among who is the greatest among us. And Jesus understands that this conversation is going on. And he uses this moment, understanding his title, and understanding them arguing about them wanting to have a title. And he pulls out a towel. He says, you want to know what true greatness is? You want to know where true power is found? Use this towel and wash each other's feet. Serve each other. This is where true greatness is found. And I think that's a pretty radical story. If you're you're sitting there and you you understand what's going on, that, that Jesus would do this, Jesus who's claiming to be the Son of God, would do something that slaves would do. I think it's hard for us to to understand too, as as an American. I I you know, I I'm competitive. I want to win. I want to be seen as the greatest and the best. And usually that comes from me being better than other people. If you ever played a board game with me, you see a side of me that comes out. I like to win. But true greatness is found here, as Jesus is talking about, true greatness is found in this act of humility, stooping down to a lower level to serve others. And you see that there's great power in this because there's something about it that is so compelling that you want to follow. This last week as I was trying to decide what to do with my time in the evenings, didn't have to read anything, it was really nice. I was kind of like panicky because I'm like I usually, I'm studying and if you've gone through some school you you get that, especially with finals week. And so I'm trying to fill my time at night and Marcy always goes to bed at like 9 p.m. And I'm like a night owl. and so I was kind of flipping through different shows I could watch, and I came across this documentary on Napoleon, which is really exciting for me, like, <laughs> documentary on Napoleon. And, and I, so I was like, okay, I'll give this a try, and started watching it. And, you know, Napoleon's kind of fascinating to me. I don't understand how this guy became so powerful, you know? Like, he, I know he's a good military genius, but, like, what was it about him that just was so compelling, that all of France would follow him into Russia? Like, what was that? And, and as I started to watch this, uh, this show about this, this great general who did terrible things. Let's, I'm not saying that he's great, like, great. But, but he, he had this, something about him was compelling. And, and as I'm watching, it's kind of tracking his early life, the early life of Napoleon as he becomes like a general and he's kind of rising up in the army. And there was this campaign that happened in Italy. And he goes into Italy and he's fighting the Austrian-Hungary, 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 Austrian
He's fighting the Austrians somehow. <laughs> and, and, uh, and this battle happens, and they're getting ready to take a bridge. And the, the Hungarians, <laughs> the other army's on the other side of the bridge. And the French are coming, and they have to cross this bridge to recapture Italy. And they're trying to figure out what to do, and they're pinned down, and it's like this bottleneck on the bridge. And Napoleon decides to lead this charge across the bridge. And this is before he's like Napoleon. I mean, he's a leader, but he's not. And, and all the French army sees him take off, and they all follow suit, and they all charge this bridge. And in the documentary, it's showing yeah, guys getting, you know, guys are getting knocked off, they're getting hit, and, and he keeps running forward, and his army keeps following him forward. And then finally, they get to this place where they're halfway across the bridge, and they can't go any further, and the cannons are kind of knocking him back, and they end up retreating, and they end up following all the way back. And in this story, it's, they, they have this kind of devastating defeat in this battle for the bridge. And they, they lose that battle. But something happens with the French army at that point. Napoleon wins their hearts. Loses the battle, but wins the hearts of the French army. And the story of his bravery kind of spreads that this is a general we can follow into battle because he puts himself out in front of everyone. This is this idea of him sacrificing himself for the victory. Now we know that's not the perfect ideal of leadership and they end up following him into Russia and terrible things happen, right? But I started thinking about this idea of greatness. Greatness comes from when we're able to, to, to put our own security on the line for others. We're able to lay down our life. We're able to put all of our own agenda down to serve other people. And Jesus starts talking to his disciples about greatness, and he says, you want to be great? Serve one another. It's not about having this title. It's about using your position of authority to bring life to other people. Jesus knows that all things have been given to him, all authority on heaven and earth, and he uses that authority to wash the feet of his disciples. So this is what Jesus does. He washes the feet. It's a very lowly act, something a servant would do, as I mentioned. Again, we wear shoes. A lot of us wear sandals. We have paved roads. Uh, we don't really need to wash our feet when we go inside. But at this point in history, you would be walking on unpaved roads. If it was dry outside, there would be inches thick of dust that would accumulate all over your feet. If it was rainy, your feet would be full of mud. Uh, there were animals in the street, so who knows what you're stepping in. You get to a home, you're getting ready for a meal. What would happen is when you would get to a home, if the house had someone that was a house servant, they would come out and they would just wash your feet. It would be so refreshing and it would be just great for sanitary reasons if you're going to dinner. But then what would happen is that if, if there wasn't a servant, if the house couldn't afford that, then someone within the house or someone within the dinner party would decide, well, I'm going to wash the feet for everyone else. Oftentimes, this would be maybe the youngest person or the lowest on the kind of the social totem pole. And we have in this room, when Jesus decides to wash his disciples' feet, no one's washed their feet. That means no one said, I'm willing to do it. And honestly, it probably should have been John, the guy that wrote this story, because kind of tradition tells us that he's the youngest. But when this dispute that breaks out about who's the greatest, I wonder if it had something to do with why their feet aren't washed yet. They get to this dinner and no one says, I'll do the foot washing here. 
You know, I can imagine how they would look around at each other and think, I'm not going to do it. In fact, I'd rather, not, I'd rather have dirty feet than have to be the one that washes everyone else's feet. Who knows why John doesn't do it? You know, maybe Matthew again's like, I'm the, the wealthiest one here, so I'm obviously not going to do it. Maybe Peter's like, well, I could beat everybody else up, so I'm not going to do it. Maybe Judas is like, I'm about to turn you all in, so I'm definitely not going to. I don't know. But for whatever reason, nobody decides to wash the disciples' feet. And here Jesus is saying, this is this hospitality, this custom of hospitality that no one's done. And this is what's so radical is the one at the head of the table, the rabbi, the one they call Lord, decides, I'm going to be the one that washes your feet. Have you ever been around someone who, who they, they do something for you out of servitude and humility, and it just completely exposes, like, your own sense of entitlement? It just completely exposes, like, your own pride. I can't imagine what this would have felt like for the disciples to realize, no, Jesus, he, no, okay, okay, I'll do it. You can't be the one who does this, Jesus. And here he is washing the disciples' feet. Peter has a problem with that. Peter won't let him do it. There's something inside of Peter who's like, no, no, no. You're not going to be the one that does this, Jesus. And out of his own pride, he says, no way. And Jesus says, if you won't let me do this, Peter, if you're, holding, if you're too prideful to let me do this, and you're actually missing the message of what my kingdom is all about. If you can't let me do this, he says, you can have no part in me. And you start to understand that John always tells a story and there's always something deeper happening with the details. And what we find is that Jesus is he's washing his disciples' feet, but this is something that's symbolic of what he does because feet are dirty. But what Jesus does is he comes into this world and what we see in this, the last life of Jesus is that he cleanses something that is inside of us that is even dirtier than our feet. And he comes in front of Peter and he says, this question, will you let me do it? Will you let me cleanse this? And I think Peter has this response that maybe something with a lot of us with pride would say, at first, no way. No way, I'm not going to let you do that. And he says, you have to allow me to do this. This is the way of the kingdom. So finally, Peter responds by saying, you can wash everything as well. Each of us is faced with this question. Jesus, are you going to wash my feet? No way. Out of our own pride, out of our own sense of, I don't need that, we say no. Jesus says, I'm here to cleanse something much dirtier than your feet. Will you let me? Will we accept that? Will we swallow our pride and say, yes, I need to be cleansed? This is what Jesus does in this story. The story about feet, and yet there's so much more going on here with the life of Jesus. And then the story continues with another thing that Jesus knows. And this is something that's fascinating to me. It says, Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him. It says, Judas in his heart, he's one of the disciples, the devil has got a hold of him, and he has decided he's going to betray Jesus. You see, for Judas, he was following Jesus, and he had this idea of what he expected Jesus to be. In his mind, he had a vision for who Jesus was going to be. And as Jesus decided to not fit that picture, that vision, he was upset. He decided to say, 
If you're not going to be what I want you to be, Jesus, then I'm turning you in. I'm getting mine. We know that he betrays him for 30 pieces of silver. And Jesus knows this. After Jesus decides to do this, Jesus still decides to wash his feet. We understand what Jesus knows in this story, that his time has come, that all authority on heaven and earth have been given to him, that he's going back to be with the Father. He uses that authority to wash the feet of a man who is about to betray him. We start to understand the character of Jesus. Not only is this a radical story because of what he's doing, but because of who he's doing it for. If Jesus would do this to a man like Judas who betrays him to his death, what does Jesus willing to do for each one of us? All of us, no matter what we've gone through, no matter what we've done, the offer is the same. Jesus says, I will cleanse you. I will wash you. Jesus uses his authority to wash the feet of a man who's about to betray him. And then Jesus tells us to do something in this story. He says, to do to others as I have done to you. Not only is this something that we accept, that Jesus comes and he, he cleanses us, but then Jesus says, now you've been given this task as my followers. The way of the kingdom is a way of serving in humility and sacrifice. And this is where true greatness is found. Use your position to do this to others as well. They're invited into this. As I uh, graduated a couple of weeks ago, my family decided to throw me a surprise party. And uh, Marcy pulled it off last week, and it shows you kind of like how out of it and spacey I am right now. I had no idea. She surprised me yesterday. Family kind of threw this graduation party for me. Super fun. Um, but in order for Marcy to do that, she had to get a couple people involved in the process of surprising me. So she called one of my good friends, and he's like, you mean I get a lie to my pastor? I am in. Really excited about that. But then, uh, you know, I love Mexican food, so they decided to have Mexican food. And so she got a bunch of chicken from Costco. She couldn't cook it in the house because I would have known that she was doing that, so she took it to her sister Allie's house. And if you know Allie and you know Danny, what you'll find is that Allie's like borderline vegetarian. She's an herbivore almost. And uh, she married Danny, who is a carnivore. In fact, if it's not meat, he probably won't eat it. Actually, he'll eat anything, but especially meat. And uh, he's the kind of guy that he likes to go hunting, and then he eats what he hunts, including javelina, which even I think is a little bit gross. <laughs> Allie's, this is her burden in life. She's been married to, to Danny. And, and so she doesn't like to prepare meat for a meal. And so Marcy asked her to do this. And and so she takes the chicken and she cuts it all up and puts it in the crock pot. And then yesterday she was talking to me and she's like, at the at a party, she said, uh, well, I was, as I was getting the chicken ready, I was thinking in my mind, I really love you guys because I, <laughs> I can't believe I'm doing this. And, and I was thinking, this is the kind, we are to, to love other people, to do things like that, that we don't want to do. We're not excited about doing it, and yet it brings life the party. Jesus says that we are to do this as he has done to others, to serve one another out of love and humility. We see this now that we have four children, we're raising the small army, um, it, and I see this in, in the character of my wife as she is constantly cleaning up after our children, doing things that you, she would probably not necessarily expect to do until you have to do them. But there's such great love for our children that she's willing to do different things where she sacrifices and loves 
out of great love, she's willing to do all sorts of things for our children's livelihood. One of the things that Marcy does that I really appreciate is around holidays, whether it's Christmas or Easter, is she always has some sort of like little craft made for the children to tell them the story about God's love. And then she reads to them out of like the Jesus Storybook Bible. And, uh, and she takes the time to do this. And I'm, I'm a pastor and I, I forget to do this. And, but she does, she takes the time to do it and goes slowly through these stories to reveal to our children what God's love is like. And she came, there's a story that takes place that I want to close our time with that uh, I've heard her read and thought about it when it comes to this story of God's love as a servant king for us. And it takes place in the storybook Bible. And it's the same story that I just read in John. And I want you to just think of the, the words of this story. And then we'll close with this. But it says, and this is a children's Bible, it says, It was Passover, the time when God's people remembered how God had rescued them from being slaves in Egypt. Every year they killed a lamb and they ate it. The lamb has died instead of us, they would say. But this Passover, this Passover, God was getting ready for an even greater rescue. Jesus and his friends were having a Passover meal together in an upstairs room, and Jesus' friends were arguing. What about? They were arguing about stinky feet. Stinky feet? Yes, that's right. Stinky feet. Now, the thing about feet back then was that people didn't wear shoes. They only wore sandals, which was not, doesn't sound unusual, except that the streets in those days and those days were dirty. And I don't just mean dusty dirty, I mean really stinky dirty. With all those cows and horses everywhere, you can imagine the stuff on the street that ended up on their feet. So anyway, someone had to wash away the dirt, but it was a dreadful job. Who on earth would ever dream of volunteering to do it? Well, only the loneliest of servants. I'm not a servant, said Peter, nor am I, said Matthew. But quietly, Jesus got from, up from the table, took off his robe, picked up a jar of water, knelt down, and started to wash his friend's feet. You can't, said Peter, but he didn't understand about Jesus being a servant king. If you don't let me wash away the dirt, Peter, Jesus said, you can't be close to me. Jesus knew that what people needed most was to be clean on the inside. All the dirt on your feet was nothing compared to the dirt inside their hearts. Then wash me, Lord, Peter said, Tears filling his eyes, all of me. One by one, Jesus washed everyone's feet. I am doing this because I love you, Jesus explained. Do this for each other. Now one of Jesus' friends had made a bad plan. No one else knew what the bad plan was, but Jesus knew, and so did Judas. Judas was going to help the leaders capture Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Go on, Judas, Jesus said, and Judas got up from the meal and left the room and walked out to the night. And then Jesus picked up some bread and broke it. He gave it to his friends. He picked up a cup of wine and thanked God for it, and he poured it out and shared it. My body is like this bread. It will break, Jesus told them. This cup of wine is like my blood. It will pour out. But this is how God will rescue the whole world. My life will break, and God's broken world will mend. My heart will tear apart, and your hearts will heal. Just as the Passover lamb died, so now I will die instead of you. My blood will wash away your sins, and you'll be clean on the inside in your hearts. So whenever you eat and drink, remember, Jesus said, I've rescued you. 
Jesus knew that it was nearly time for him to leave the world and go back to God. It won't be long with you. It won't be with you long, he said. You're going to be sad, but a helper's, God's helper will come, and you'll be filled with a forever happiness that won't ever leave you. So don't be afraid. You are my friends, and I love you. And then they sang their favorite song and went to their favorite place in a garden. I love how simple that story is told. That this God who loves us so much breaks himself open, pours himself out to mend our brokenness, gets down on our level and washes our feet, and washes the dirt out of our life. This is the story that we belong to. This is the story that we remember and celebrate this week of Easter. And today, as Tim comes back up and closes us with a time of communion where we take this bread that's broken open and we take this juice that is representative of blood poured out, we're reminded that we're put back together. Our brokenness is restored. Our sin is washed away because of the sacrificial love of God. And we're invited to do the same for others, to break ourselves open, to pour ourselves out as a church, as a community, to bring life and healing to others. Today's Tim closes us with this song. We invite you to the table for communion, to partake in these symbolic elements of our story. And maybe today you've never allowed God to just wash your feet, to wash your heart. Maybe like Peter, you've been in the same way saying, I don't need that, especially not from you. And today you just need to say, God, I'm ready. Wash my feet. If you'd like to do that today for the first time, I'm going to be standing in the back during communion. If you want to come back and talk to me, I'd love to just pray with you. Hear more about your story. This invitation for us to just be washed. Maybe today, someone in your life has betrayed you. Someone in your life that doesn't deserve love. Someone that you've had a difficult time with. And you need to consider, how do I show this love of God to this person? The last thing Jesus says is that when we do that, we are blessed to love others that way. Let me pray for us and then we'll close. And we'll close this. Lord, thank you so much for this day. And thank you for the story of foot washing, the story of Palm Sunday that sets the tone for the last week of the life that you lived here on earth. Lord, we're so thankful for this great love that in the midst of your power, your authority, knowing everything about us, you love us. You would wash the feet of one who was about to betray you. Lord, I pray that you would just tug on our hearts today. You would stir something inside of us, Lord, that we would be more like you. Maybe for the first time today, Lord, we'd encounter you. Maybe you would reawaken something in us that has been long asleep. That you would give us the courage, Lord, to serve others in humility knowing that there's great power and blessing, life that is truly life. Lord, we give you this time. We pray for your presence. In your son's name we pray. Amen.